This morning, we are returning to a series that we've been walking through for the last several weeks, uh, a series I've entitled God at the Mic, and we are doing a survey through each of the 12 minor prophets, hearing one message from each of those 12 prophets, hearing what God has to say to His people then uh, and today. And so if you have your Bible, you can begin opening to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and uh, we will be in chapter 3 and 4 this morning, taking a look at this book. Um, We are now seven days out, I suppose, depending on how you're counting the hours from Christmas. Uh, I would say within the last week or two, in terms of culture, we have officially shifted into that zone where people no longer look at you when they see you in passing and say, hey, or how are you? They say, are you ready for Christmas, right? You gotten that question yet? Are you ready for Christmas? Of course, the inevitable answer is no. Um, I remember, as I'm sure you do fondly as a child, uh, it felt like as a kid that Christmas only came every 25 years, and it took forever for it to get there, and every moment of December was just agonizing because you had to wait and wait and wait and wait. And now I'm an adult, and I'm never ready Never ready. Now, I am happy to report that the vast majority of our preparations for Christmas and all the various obvious ways are are going fairly well, but there's that shift from childhood of waiting to the adulthood of, I'm not ready for the day to come. Well, uh, this morning's message is entitled, Get Ready for My Coming, and as we walk through the prophet Malachi, I think you'll understand why. So hear the word of the Lord this morning. I'm going to read to us Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to jump ahead to Malachi 4 and read verses 1 through 6 uh, all together here this morning. The Bible says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4 verse 1, for behold, the day is coming burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet." On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. 
Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask for his blessing over his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is holy, it is good, it is perfect, it is without error, Lord. It is authoritative in our lives, and so we submit to it, Lord. We hear both the good news and the bad news before us here this morning. And Lord, even as you spoke through your prophets many centuries ago, Lord, we sit before your living and active word this morning. We pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would draw us near to yourself this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your kindness and for your love. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Three promises and one question here from Malachi this morning as we hear from God at the mic, as it were. Number one of those is this. We see very clearly through the totality of Malachi, really, that the wait is hard, but waiting on the Lord is worth it. The wait is hard but waiting on the Lord is worth it. In particular, if we step back and look at the first three chapters of Malachi, we see this reality taking place. And as we look at the situation for those who originally received God's word, see Israel had to wait. You and I have to wait. Uh, As I mentioned, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, not only in the order in which it is given to us, but he is the last prophet of the entire Old Testament writing somewhere between about 475 B.C. and 420 B.C. At this time in Israel's history, Israel had been exiled by Assyria and by Babylon, experienced terrible destruction, and by God's grace and mercy, he had then brought them back into the land. So in 539 B.C., Israel comes home. And so the the era in which Malachi lived, more or less, is the era of heroes of the Old Testament like Nehemiah and Ezra. But their efforts, it would, it would be fair to say, their efforts to make Israel great again had fallen a little bit short in their desire to see what used to be so great, it was not the same. The temple was not the same. The city was not the same. The walls were not the same. And the hearts of God's people were still not the same. This is an era of disillusionment. This is an era of doubt, of faithlessness among many, not all, but among many of God's people, not unlike the day that we see ourselves in today. And it was an era in which if you ask God's people, they would say, it just seems like the wicked get what they want. The wicked always seem victorious, and maybe you can resonate with their frustrations. But Israel still had ultimately not learned what God had for them, and this is that they didn't see that they brought judgment on themselves. The the way that they had kept God at a distance, the way that they had ignored his promises, his goodness, and his truth, they brought judgment on themselves. But here, particularly in Malachi, they will continue to blame shift and blame God for their problems. They didn't see God's work of grace, God's work of restoration that was already taking place in their midst. So Malachi 1 all the way through Malachi 3 is basically this recounting, almost a discussion, a debate that Malachi puts before us between God and and representatives of God's people. And the voices that we hear here are voices of complaining and of blame shifting on God and unwillingness to repent, not unlike many of the voices that we hear in our broader culture among us today. 
Five little uh, discussion points that you see between God and God's people. The first is that uh, in Malachi 1-2, God says, I've always loved you, and I always will love you. And, and in one of the more offensive, I'll even say gross responses of God's people in all of Scripture, uh, the people respond to God, how have you loved us? What an arrogant and heartbreaking response. Then secondly, in Malachi 1.6, God says, he is their father and he is their master, but the priests of Israel have despised the name of the Lord. And, and the people's response is, well, how have we despised your name? In Malachi 2 verse 10, God says that he is their faithful father and creator. And in 2.11 and 2.14, he further brings conviction to God's people. And he says this, you have been faithless by marrying daughters of a foreign God. You've married people who don't believe in me. And further, you have been faithless to your wives, your first wives that you made a covenant promise to. Yet another way in which God's people are covenant breakers. Fourthly, in in Malachi 2.17, God says that he is a God of justice, and on two different occasions in Malachi, God's people complain and accuse God of the very opposite and say, well, God's just unjust. God's not fair. God God isn't doing the right thing. And their evidence is, is basically this. Bad people are getting rich, financially rich, and we're not rich, so God's not fair. And they have this discussion here in in Malachi. And then in chapter 3, God ends in verses uh, 6 through 12 by calling God's people to repent. And he uses the language of return to me. But their hearts are still hard, and the people's response is, well, how do I return? And to illustrate the fact that uh, belief changes who we are, that when we know God personally, it changes our lives, God gives them a specific example, and he says, stop withholding your tithes and your offerings for me. See, for all of us, we get impatient with God. When things don't go the way that we want them to go, we inevitably will tend to stop believing in God's promises and believing that what God said isn't really true, and we we have to hold on to something, and so we run to someone else, or we run to something else outside of God. Now, maybe it's different in your house, Uh, But when my kids have to wait, they don't do such a great job in the waiting. They complain. I'm sure it's just my house, though. Um, As adults, what do we do when we have to wait on something? We complain too, right? We we have a hard time with with patience. And the truth is, is the, the Israelites nor us, we're not wrong when we look out at the world around us and we see, yes, wicked people do prosper, There is injustice of all types. There is pain in this life. There is sadness. There are broken families. Loved ones do pass away. The problem is not in our waiting. It is what we are waiting on because many will sit around their entire lives just waiting for their ship to come in, dissatisfied with what God promises, thinking that that. The things of this world that sparkle are somehow going to satisfy those deepest parts of my heart. But let me tell you clearly this morning that the promises of this world, anything outside of Christ, it cannot and it will not deliver what it has promised. There is only one. And so I say to you this morning, wait in faith on the Lord. He's worth it. In the book of Psalms, chapter 27, the psalmist says this, 
I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What do I do then? Wait, says verse 14, for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Do you know that after the prophet Malachi, that God would be silent for more than 400 years? 400 years, no new prophetic word. God is silent. And you can imagine that God's people were waiting impatiently. You think about that. What, what is your level of acquaintance, acquaintance with the year 1622? Got anything? What's going on in 1622? Don't know. Jamestown was 15 years old. You were three at the time? No. <laughs> World War III in 16... Yeah, we'll do the math later. Think about that, though. 400 years of silence and waiting. They, they've heard promises from Malachi. When will they be fulfilled? And through Malachi, we're told that God, God makes a promise. He says that I'm not just going to send prophets. He, he's saying here in Malachi, I will come. I will come. Um, my wife and I have a particularly exciting Christmas present for our kids uh, this year. I told a few of you about it. Don't talk to our kids about it because they don't know. They're not in the room. I am agonizing, waiting for Christmas morning. I cannot wait for the moment. My phone will be out. I'm going to capture every moment so that for the rest of my life, I can just remember Christmas morning, 2022. I imagine that that is the heartbeat behind what it was like for God for those 400 years. The plan had been set before the foundations of the world. The gift was ready. God had told his people through the prophets my promise is, is coming. I can't wait. And Malachi gives us more good news. Number two, we look back and what Malachi promised and we say, he has come. He has come. Malachi chapter three and verse one, listen to it again, the promise that is here in the midst of all of that is happening in Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who do you expect to keep their promises? Who do you genuinely expect? I trust this person, this group of people to keep their promises. Um, I always enjoy hearing the promises of presidential candidates, Right? high-end, trustworthy. Uh, 1988, George H.W. Bush famously said, read my lips, no new taxes. And the following year, taxes went up. One of my favorites, 1996, President Clinton, the era of big government is over. LOL. It's not, in case you were unclear about that. But here in the Bible, God says, my messenger will come and prepare the way. Now, what's interesting is Malachi's name literally translates my messenger, but Malachi is not talking about himself here. So who is he talking about and when is this going to come? Well, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
and John all tell us that Malachi and, oh, by the way, the prophet Isaiah were prophesying the arrival first of a man named John the Baptist, that there would be one who would come as a messenger. Matthew 11 verse 10 tells us that Malachi 3 verse 1 is all about John the Baptist. Listen to the way that Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 40, written in 740 BC, by the way. It says this, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And John the Baptist shows up, comes out of the desert and prepares the way, and he does that by preaching the words of God and calling people to repent of their sin. He begins baptizing them and pointing them not to himself, but to another whose name is Jesus. John the Baptist says this in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sand- I love this, right? Whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So God says through Malachi that, secondly, that the Lord himself, the messenger of the covenant, will come. Who is coming after John the Baptist? The Lord himself. I'm not sending the prophets anymore. I am coming personally. And what is his message going to be? We're told that it is the covenant, unshakable, unbreakable promises of God fulfilled. See, the prophets foretold his birth. The angels foretold his arrival to a virgin named Mary and her fiance, Joseph. They proclaimed the good news to shepherds that morning And kings from a foreign land followed a star to worship the one who was going to come. John again puts it this way in John 1.29. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember at age 12, Jesus shows up suddenly in the temple. He's 12 years old. And he's teaching the word of God with authority telling adults the truth of God's word. And in Malachi 4 that we read, listen to verses 4 and 5 again. Malachi says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Malachi 4 is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 17. And we have this amazing moment that we look back on and we call it the transfiguration. And Jesus is there on the mountain and who shows up? Moses shows up representing all of the law. Miracle of miracles. Elijah shows up representing all of the prophets. And the voice of God the Father speaks into that moment and says, this is my son. Jesus is my son with whom I am well pleased and adds this application point, listen to him, listen to him. Matthew eleven thirteen. for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, meaning John the Baptist, and if you are willing to accept it, he, John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Christian, Jesus has come. 
which means though you struggle in this life, though you fight temptations, though there are hurts and difficulties, we're not denying any of that. You and I will never know a day that Jesus is not on his throne. You and I will never know a day that the Holy Spirit is not living and active within you, within your heart and soul, and growing you, Christian, more and more into the image of Jesus by his grace and his kindness. He has come. But number three, he is coming again. The Bible in many places, and here in Malachi is clear, he is coming again. And we see these realities in both Malachi 3 and 4 that say that now we know who it is that Jesus will come a second time. And in that second time, you will experience one of two things, and there is no third option. You will either experience his judgment or you will experience his mercy, his restoration, his eternal life. And the Bible says, listen if you have ears to hear. In Malachi, it says that Jesus will come as a refiner's fire and as a fuller's soap to purify his priests and his people. See, again, in context then, the priests were making uh, unacceptable, wicked offerings. But in the New Testament, Romans 12, 1, it says that Jesus will make his people, you and me, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, not offering a thing, offering myself, purified by Jesus. It says that Jesus comes in eternal judgment. And Malachi 3 in particular is not unclear and does not mince words when it says that Jesus will come as a witness against sinners. And he lists several things and do not think, uh, well, I'm not guilty of any of those, so I'm off the hook. But Jesus says that he comes to speak against sorcery, demon interaction, against liars, against those who oppress the poor, those who oppress the needy, those who oppress widows, those who oppress immigrants. The Bible uses the words fire, oven, stubble, that is the ash left over, ablaze, all references to the second coming of Jesus Christ in which sinners will be punished eternally. If you're looking for the bad news this morning, we found it. Matthew 24, 36 says, no one knows the day or the hour of Jesus' return. You hear someone who says they know when, they are lying. But the Bible says this in Romans 6, 23. It's the good news. For the wages or the payment of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, the reality that Malachi is so beautifully painting before us is that Jesus was burned in the oven of God's wrath for our sins. Jesus was crushed underfoot for our restoration. Jesus fulfills all of the demands of the covenant that you and I cannot and will not fulfill. God never broke the covenant. We are the covenant breakers. And Jesus on our behalf stands in our place, accepts the penalty that we deserve, which is death on the cross. Jesus willingly goes. Jesus lovingly goes and takes what we deserve, and then three days later, rises from the dead, establishing what he tells us in Matthew and in 1 Corinthians 11 is a new covenant. 
That's why when we take communion together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of that, that Jesus says he holds up the cup of juice and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Let this be a reminder of the reality that when I died on the cross, I established a new, greater promise. Not that God messed up, that that we messed it up. Jesus has satisfied both sides of the covenant so that you and I can have eternal hope, eternal restoration. Malachi in in Malachi 4 calls it healing. By the rising sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. What a beautiful picture of the sun rising, knowing that we will rise with him. And it's not just those warm, glowing rays, but it is the promise of God's righteousness applied to us. It's a different kind of a blaze. It's a different kind of sunlight that, that will purify and sanctify and give life rather than death. See, the righteousness of Jesus is gifted to us in an exchange. Jesus on the cross says, I will take all of your sin and all of your guilt. And not only that, I will gift you all of my perfect righteousness, my perfect life, my perfect record for you. You know, from from Malachi to Jesus was 400 or so years of silence, 400 years. It has been 2,000 years since Jesus came the first time, and we don't know when he will come again. But understand this, Jesus tarrying is a mercy. Every day and every moment that we have in this season of waiting is a kindness. The Bible says that he desires to see you come to him in repentance because he has first come to you and come for you. And so the second coming of Jesus, whenever it will be, will be a day of eternal weeping and judgment for those who will not flee to him, but for those who are in Christ, who have accepted him as their personal Lord and Savior, Jesus' second coming will be a day of joy, will be a day of eternal hope in which sin will be no more, in which hurt will be no more in which all the broken things will be made unbroken and all the sad things will be made unsad. And we look forward to that day knowing this, that as believers in Christ, we can look forward to Jesus' second coming because our judgment, the judgment that we deserved has already happened the day that Jesus Christ went on the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, says the word of God. And so my question, fourth and finally, to you is just this. Are you ready? Are you ready for his coming? Malachi asked it 2,400 years ago, and the Lord asks us again today. Restoration or judgment? Life or death? The Bible is clear. Choose one. Jesus says that he came to seek and to save the lost. Malachi says that Jesus will come and will turn our hearts back to one another and back to him. In the book of John, Jesus says it this way, a powerful passage. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead 
will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. If you were to die tonight, are you absolutely certain that you would spend eternity in a very real and wonderful place called heaven with God face to face? If not, come to Him in faith even today. You know, the entire Old Testament, the book of Malachi, listen to how the entire Old Testament ends. The last few words. This is the latter half of Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. End of the Old Testament. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Last word. The entire Old Testament is the word destruction. Many translations will translate it to a similar word, curse. Lest I come, if you do not repent and turn me, lest I come with a decree of an utter curse. What about when we get to the end of the New Testament? If we go to the very end of the New Testament, in the last book, the book of Revelation, we read this in Revelation 22, there will be no more curse. There will be no more destruction because God's mercy and God's grace have the last word for all of those who are in Christ. Listen to Revelation 22, 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, destroyed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. He goes on in Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come, speaking to Jesus. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. God's last words are words of hope and words of invitation. Come to me even as I have come to you. Last word of the entire Bible. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And our response, amen, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. And God, drop the mic. The end. Are you ready is my question. Uh, I spent time with Jim and Kathy Welch last Wednesday, 10 days ago Wednesday. And we're sharing, we're praying, we're reading the promises of Romans 8. And, and he's filled with joy. He's hurting. He's filled with joy. I said, Jim, how are you doing? He said, I know where I am going. I know where I'm going. And he is there now. He's looking at Jesus face to face in a way that we cannot even begin to wrap our heads and our hearts around. So if you have not experienced that kind of confidence, that kind of comfort, that kind of eternal joy that, that Jim had and still has today in a whole different and better way, Follow what Revelation says. Cry out to Jesus today. Jesus, come to me. I admit I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender. I want you to be Lord of my life. Jesus has come. He's coming again. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Old and for the New Testament. Thank you for the covenant promises contained within, Lord. You have never lied. You have never been unjust. You have never been unloving. And Lord, 
the history of humanity is a history of wandering and a history of bad decisions, of, of sin. And God, in your, your kindness, you knew you weren't surprised. But rather, before the foundations of the world had been laid, you planned and prepared to send yourself to send your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to do for us what we would not do ourselves and could not do ourselves. That's why we celebrate Christmas, Father. Thank you for the the first coming, the first advent, that the Savior of the world, God Himself, would incarnate, take on human flesh, and be, be born of a virgin, suffer under Pontius Pilate, be crucified, die, and three days later rise again bringing hope to the world. Father, thank you for that kind of kindness. We are, our hearts are filled to overflowing with gratefulness to you, even as, as we wait, Lord. I pray that you'd be with those who are in waiting over one or another set of circumstances, those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are, are grieving. Lord, you know our deepest hurts. You care, God. You are compassionate. Walk with us in the waiting. Thank you that you're not off at a distance, but you came down. Your Holy Spirit is here waiting with us. Your Holy Spirit is praying for us when we don't even know what to pray. Thank you for that kind of kindness and mercy. And Lord, we will trust you. We give our lives to you, our allegiance to you. We want everybody to know this kind of hope in life. So Lord, fill our our mouths with the words of the gospel. Lord, fill our lives with the actions of the gospel that the whole world, that the city of Palm Bay, that everyone that we meet might know and, and believe the good news of Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.